0: Welcome to AccessEDU, a podcast dedicated to raising awareness of accessibility issues and efforts in higher education. I'm Megan Fogel, and I'm here to help you understand the importance behind accessibility and how it can impact the day-to-day lives of your students, faculty, and staff, wherever you're teaching. Today I'm joined by Anna Volker who is a senior at OSU and was recently awarded the President's Prize to work on an awesome project that we're going to learn a little bit more about. So,
1: hello! Hi there! Thank you so much for having me.
0: Yeah. Tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Uh, Yeah. So, like you said, my name is Anna Volker and I'm a senior here at Ohio State. I'm uh, from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and I'm studying science, communication, and accessibility. So, this is a self-designed major. Uh, that I I came up with. Um, It's supported by a lot of different people at the university. My primary advisor for it is uh, Professor John Beacom, uh, who's from the Physics and Astronomy Departments, uh, which leads me to my minor, which is in uh, the Department of Astronomy. So I really like studying space and trying to figure out how to make astronomy and science as a whole a more inclusive field. Cool. So how did you get interested in accessibility Yeah, so I've been interested in science for a long time, specifically astronomy, uh, just because I think it's such a fascinating field uh, where there's so much we don't understand. So that really has always been exciting to me that it's just completely full of mystery that scientists get to constantly investigate. Mm -hmm. Uh, In terms of accessibility, what really kickstarted it was a class here at Ohio State called Shakespeare and Autism. Uh, cool. So, yeah, so it's a wonderful class, and you can actually read about it. Uh, there's a few different uh, university articles on the topic, but essentially, it uses theater games uh, developed by Kelly Hunter, who's a member of the Royal Shakespeare Company, and she created this method by which acting and play can be used to help break down communication barriers mm-hmm. uh, for children on the autism spectrum. So, things like making eye contact, recognizing facial expression, different life skills that can sometimes have the potential mm-hmm. to be more challenging for kids with developmental disabilities. These are all explored through this series of theater games. And so this is a class you can actually take here at Ohio State. The course is led by Professor Kevin McClatchy of the theater department. And it's an amazing course that honestly changed my life, (laughs) which I never thought I would say about a specific class. Um, But it it did just because I I really fell in love with the way art was reaching people and allowing these kids to open up in these new ways. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I ended up becoming really interested in that and I decided to merge that with my love of science by redesigning these games to teach different science concepts. So instead of being characters from The Tempest, we were cells in the body, or planets in the solar system, and we still did these acting games based around this this idea of imaginative play and life skill development. Uh, And I got to perform these games for the first time with children at COSI uh, during Sensory Friendly Day, which is an event I helped organize there uh, for children coming to the science center who have different uh, developmental disabilities. And so we played the games there. And uh, yeah, that'll be a part of my upcoming President's
0: Prize project. That's awesome. Thank you. really cool. (laughs) So how have you been able to combine those two interests into like your own custom major?
1: Yeah, that's really good question. Um, So a lot of my classes relate to either disability studies or science or Uh, some type of in-between communication forms. Um, uh, For example, one of the classes I'm in right now is the creation of outreach theater, which I'm very interested in because I think that Shakespeare and autism and that type of... uh, Theater work is a a form of outreach that, uh, to me, is very closely related to science outreach, which is something I've I've done a lot of. Um, So a lot of my outside of school experiences relate to astronomy education in the public. So um, a lot of that is reflected in the courses that I selected for that degree.
0: Cool. Very cool. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about the project and like the scope of that what you're gonna do for this president's prize project yes
1: absolutely Um, so I'm very excited about this opportunity (laughs) more so than I can say Um, and it is a year-long project uh, that'll kick off in September of this year yeah Uh, and the first section uh, will be a research-based project where I'll be looking at different projects in astronomy outreach that have an accessibility focus and I'll be creating resources and those resources on a public website so that people who are interested in the field can uh, really uh, continue the the development and reach of projects that are already out there yes. because there's so many people who are doing this work uh, a surprising number of, of folks who have passions that lie at this very particular intersection yes. um, but it's just not really well broadcasted right now uh, so i'll be working Uh, with Dr. Wanda Diaz-Merced and likely going to uh, the headquarters for the office she works at. Uh, this office has a very long name, but it's called the International Astronomical Union's Office of Astronomy for Development.
0: Cool. Uh, So (laughs) what all
1: those words mean (laughs) is that uh, this is an office that is dedicated to making astronomy more inclusive, more equitable, uh, and more accessible around the world. Uh, And it's a subset of the International Astronomical Union, um, which is really the governing body of astronomy. Uh, So for example, when Pluto got kicked out, that was this uh, organization. Yeah, so they really decide Uh, big things in the world of astronomy. And so uh, uh, Wanda is uh, working down there um, in Cape Town, which is where this is located, Cape Town, South Africa. So I'll be going down there. Ideally, uh, we're planning on about two months there, um, working with her and the office on this research project. Um, and I'm really excited for this opportunity and she's also just a really incredible person an incredible researcher who has pioneered a new way to do science all through sound. Um, So she's a blind astrophysicist who does all of her research yeah, through what's called sonification. Mm -hmm. So you can actually audibilize data, which makes it not only accessible for people in the public who are blind, but also allows a whole new group of people into making discoveries and actually doing the research. Uh, So she's been able to find relationships and data that were otherwise missed when you were just looking
0: at it in a uh, visual graph. Right, so it's actually helpful for somebody that's not even
1: blind. It's advancing the field in in multiple ways, not just in accessibility, but also in scientific discovery. Um, So that's uh, the first portion. We'll be researching down there in South Africa. Uh, And then part two is the Science Accessibility Conference. Uh, So this I'm very excited about because we've never had a conference like this, uh, not just in Ohio, but but anywhere has there been this sort of uh, merging of science and disability studies and outreach all in one conversation. Um, So... The the audience members I'm hoping to draw for this is really anyone who has an interest that lies at this intersection, regardless of their, you know, a science teacher who knows nothing about accessibility, or a disability advocate who has no background in science. Mm -hmm. Um, I want to bring those people together into one conversation through this conference, uh, which is a partnership with the Ohio State Americans with Disability Act office. Uh, Yeah, so the ADA office, um, uh, its coordinator is Scott Listener, and so I've been working with him Uh, because he's been doing a conference here. This will be his 18th ADA conference at Ohio State. And so we'll be collaborating um, and having the Science Accessibility Conference happen either right before or right after the ADA conference so that we're pulling from the same audiences and infrastructure. Um, And so I'm really excited to partner with Scott and his ADA office here at Ohio State. um, And we'll be hosting that in April. April. uh, (laughs) Yes, of 2019. Yes. Well, I'm writing it down because I'm coming. Yes, absolutely. And anyone listening, I'd love uh, love for you to come. Uh, I'm really excited to kind of keep working on this. All the details have yet to be finalized, but we do know it'll be April 2019. I uh, anticipate it being about a two-day conference, um, potentially with some, some collaboration between speakers and overlap in the ADA portion, so people can yeah. kind of um, really have both experiences. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, so that's uh, the, a Columbus-based conference happening as the second step. Uh, and the final aspect of it is an expansion of this science Shakespeare and autism idea that uh, we began talking about. So this really takes that 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 one day event I referenced at COSI
0: mm-hmm. and
1: expands it into a 12 week program for children with developmental disabilities in Columbus, where we'll be playing these science inspired. Uh, Shakespeare, science-inspired acting games that are originally based on the Shakespeare and Autism program developed by Kelly Hunter. Uh, so right now I'm, I'm talking with uh, with people from Ohio State's theater department, namely uh, Professor Kevin McClatchy, about potentially collaborating with Kelly in London, um, going over there to, to shadow her work for a few weeks um, and kind of get an idea of what the program looks like at its roots and getting her feedback on this this new version of it so that it's really... Um, it stays in line with all the research that she has done on the best way to uh, to make this an effective and meaningful uh, play (laughs) games Um, yeah and so I'm really yeah looking forward to that Uh, out of everything I am I have the most personal attachment to to that phase of it because I really enjoy getting to work with the kids and
0: uh, getting to use theater as a part of that process that's really cool so in the end of that shakespeare with autism and your conversion into a science version of that is that going to be replicable for other towns other communities yes Uh,
1: so i really would love it to be um and that'll be a big part of it so i'll actually be hiring a team of teaching artists to help further develop these games and that's one of the things that we'll be working on is how we can package this to make it uh, like you said, uh, possi- the possibility of replicating it in other places. Um, and kind of going back to the first portion of the President's Prize Project, that's what part one is all about, being able mm-hmm. to make something um, and package it up in, in, in information that other people can go and replicate it. Yeah. So I, I think that's a very important part of what we do with, um, with the rest of, of the project. Um, and so that's that's one thing I, I hope to be able to kind of work on with that with that team of people. Um, and uh, I should also mention it's a uh, collaboration with the Steam Factory. So they have volunteered uh, to give us facilities for these workshops. So Steam Factory is an OSU-based collaboration right. of all of the STEM and arts coming together uh, in one space. Um, so I'm really excited to be working with them and uh, Professor Margaret Price, who is an advisor on the, on the project alongside uh, Professor John Beacon.
0: Awesome. Yeah. Very cool. So. so it seems like you found all the right people.
1: <laughs> and there's been so much support. Uh, yeah. It definitely would not be possible with all, all of these wonderful people um, and all the resources they've provided. Yeah. yeah.
0: It sounds like what you're doing is mostly targeted towards younger kids, or is that not necessarily true? In regards to the acting games, they've traditionally been done with children ages
1: 9 through 14. Um, so that's sort of the age range that the games... Are played with uh, are played here at Ohio State during the classes. That's mm-hmm. the groups we've worked with, um, as well as any of the experiences I've had with it um, through Cosine, for example, was all in that age range. Um, but I I do want to be able to expand to to reach more more age groups than just that. And so I think the conference will be one good way to do that, um, <clears throat> because I think there's definitely a deficit of outreach geared towards uh, you know teenagers and young adults. Um, especially those you know who are on the autism spectrum. So, hopefully, those are people who would be interested in in this conference and and what it has to offer.
0: Very cool. Thank so, you. what is an example, maybe from your plans for the acting games? Yes. What is an example of how you make an activity like that more accessible?
1: Great question. Yeah. So the um, one of the things. So I guess to kind of give you a. Uh, a walk through the, the evolution uh, it started out the ones we've been doing mostly from the Tempest, Shakespeare's Tempest, um, and so you might have two characters from this play, uh, one is following the other around an island, okay, uh, so this is something, a game we played called the shadowing game, um, and so kind of converting that into a, a science concept, instead of being characters from the show, one is now a virus and the other is an antibody, trailing it through our, our body. Um, and so the kind of the accessibility components are all embedded into the structure of the games. So kids, for example, are encouraged to practice imaginative play and fluid movements. Um, so like being able to open up the body and actually. Um, move in an unrestricted way, uh, and I think a big part of that is encouraging the teachers to really just be silly, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. because I think if we don't take that risk, then the kids have no reason to either. Um, so it kind of builds trust in that way. And so part of it, part of the the magic of this sort of theater outreach is that kids are are welcomed into a space where their their behavior is not seen as as wrong or as too much. No one is too much for it, We're, for this not space. Not disruptive. Yes, yeah. yeah. It's kind of all channeled into the acting. Um, and so kind of preserving <clears throat> that key concept of it, but just redefining the role so that it represents uh, different, different science concepts. Uh, so another one, your planets uh, circling around the sun, and kind of you learn about the the position of a solar eclipse and what that looks like all the while practicing facial expressions as uh, determined by the boss of the solar system which is our sun so different games like that Um, and one of the things when you mention accessibility with the games i'm really interested in seeing how they can be adapted better for uh, kids who are using wheelchairs and for uh, children who are deaf because that's not something that we've done a lot of, but I I really love sign language and I've taken all the ASL classes here uh, that OSU has. Um, And I've uh, really just, I'd love to incorporate a a better use of that in the games. Um, And so I'm excited to explore that possibility as well.
0: Thank you. That's awesome. Um, Yeah, I wonder if an ASL interpreter along the side of that could fill at least the intermediate gap. Yes, yeah. I
1: think definitely having an interpreter is the, the first step there. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the games, you know, are designed so that you're you're moving and you're using your hands and you're talking at the same time. And so I think we need to think about better ways to modify that so you could be uh, signing and, yeah. and acting. Um, so, but yes, I, I do hope to... Um, bring interpreting into this project, especially in regards to the conference. Mm -hmm. I think that'll be very important to have uh, ASL interpreters there. It's just one of many accessibility steps that we'll need to uh, be aware of. Very cool.
0: Yay. Um, So in the field, which like you've said, it's an intersection um, of two fields and many more, I'm sure. um, How do you feel um, people are aware of the need for accessibility? Yeah, that's a really good
1: question. I think um I think it's far from what it needs to be. Yeah. <laughs> so, that's fair. um yeah, the the and that's just because some of these things are are so specific that if it's not affected your life personally, there's no reason you would know about it, right? Mm-hmm. Um and so a lot of times accessibility is in response to, you know, it um it already a problem is in place and something isn't accessible and now we're realizing it once that causes an issue for someone as opposed to thinking ahead and kind of the, the concept of universal design yep. for learning, right? So you want to be able to to proactively have these accessibility uh, needs in mind when designing anything, whether it's you know like you talked about with websites or with a conference mm-hmm. um, or with acting games. Uh, and so I think I mean I I have never told someone about the work that uh, Dr. Wanda Merced-Diaz is doing and had them say, oh, I, I know that. Like, oh, I've heard of that. Mm-hmm. It's always a surprise. Right. Um, and it's always new information yeah. because it's um, it's very specific. Uh, so I'm really excited to to work on sharing that with more people. Um, another uh, uh, component of what I worked on a lot is 3D printing. So mm-hmm. that can be a very useful tool. Um, having tactile astronomy tools for blind audiences is something that I think is a really important field. Um, and so uh, that's a thing that most people have n- never come across before. Um, but that's that's what I worked on all of last summer uh, with the Space Telescope Science Institute, taking data from the Hubble Space Telescope and converting real images of galaxies into 3D prints so that blind audiences can feel uh, the structure and the morphology uh, and the contents of real galaxies as portrayed by actual data. Um, so those are things that are out there and are happening and one of the goals of the conference is to have people come in one space and experience it Uh, and one of the goals of the first section is to have people uh, be able to come across those resources online
0: Mm
1: -hmm. uh, through the research component so cool do you have a
0: picture of that i could maybe
1: have of the
0: galaxies yeah i yeah i absolutely do (laughs) well of the 3d print I, yeah. I see a picture of the galaxies on your T-shirt right, right, right you now. A I should know. Sweater.
1: Um, yeah, so I've done, uh, we have a good number of, of 3D printed galaxies, so okay. I'd be happy to, cool. to share that.
0: Yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah. Um, very cool. So, what would you say, or what would maybe Wanda say, um, to someone that thinks that certain sciences just can't be made accessible?
1: they're wrong (laughs) (laughs) it's just not true i mean i think astronomy is a good example because it's so uh perhaps more than any other is uh misperceived as a purely visual science right you have this image of a of an old man in a telescope right Right. that's sort of the iconic astronomy ideas we're looking up into the universe but it's so much more than looking um and it's so interesting because even when we do look so much of our universe we can't see as humans in our in our part of the visual spectrum, so much of it is beyond that, anyways. And so, to think that the only way we can explore all of this is through this narrow visu- vis- visual spectrum that not everyone is partaking in the same way, uh, is just a fallacy. Um, and so, I'm really excited to kind of get to keep sharing different ways to explore science, whether it's through sound, touch, or otherwise.
0: Yeah that's awesome yeah and I've had questions and that's it's really hard sometimes I'm put on the spot so how do you make topography accessible and I'm like right (laughs) I cannot tell you right now but it's possible right how about you do some research and find out if there's blind topographers right right cartographers that kind of stuff um I recently designed a course for um it was weeds science so not weed but weeds (laughs) um and it was the skill of Being able to identify plants and how do you take away the visual component of that and Hmm. still make it accessible. And we didn't necessarily come up with a solution in our semester working on it. But Hmm. that was one piece of the course that was really hard because that was so much a learning objective of the course was to be able to visually identify species of plants. Right. That's hard. It's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So there's always more research to do and find out how people have broken those (laughs) barriers and advocated for themselves to make their own field accessible absolutely yeah and mm-hmm. you're one of the people that is kind of breaking those barriers for other people which is great well thank you yeah <laughs> yeah um what is the coolest accessible science example you've seen or had a part <laughs> in or heard of great question i'm really interested in something uh
1: called gastronomy um so Mm, that that kind of refers to, if you've ever heard of a gastropub, right. like, fine eating yeah. type thing. Um, people have put the G before astronomy, and yeah. there's a series of uh, food-based astronomy accessibility uh, activities uh, based out of England, um, London, I believe, uh, that a team is working on to create a sort of uh, astronomy outreach experience for blind audiences that is all using the sense of taste that which is- oh, yeah. <laughs> so that's just one example of something that i would never have thought of you know mm-hmm. i'm really used to this thinking about sound thinking about tactile means uh but there are other senses too uh that you would never think pair well together um but that's one thing that i was i was very interested in i've actually seen it come up a couple different places, people using this idea of edible astronomy demonstrations, which is just fun for anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I thought that exactly. was particularly innovative. That's, so.
0: that's super cool. Yeah, I'm going to have yeah. to look into that. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Um, okay, and this is a tough one, since you said that you don't necessarily have um, familiarity with web accessibility as much. Mm-hmm. Um, but do you think online science classes can be made accessible?
1: Oh, yes, absolutely. And I think... Um, yeah. I mean, I'm excited about this, this office that you're you're working in, you know, keeping that as one of their priorities, I think, is mm-hmm. huge. Um, but, yeah, I I really hope to learn more about this this world of web accessibility. But I do think it's something that people, um, like we talked about earlier, need to kind of go in thinking about it as opposed to having accessibility as an afterthought. Right. So I think that'll be a big part of it is is planning with uh, any learner
0: in, in mind. Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah, that's what we preach is being proactive instead of reactive with it. Exactly. Very cool. Um, What do you think is the biggest challenge facing your project in the next year? When do you technically start? Uh, Yeah, so I start in September. Okay. uh, Which already feels so close all of a sudden. Once we enter 2018.
1: Um, What do I think is the biggest obstacle, was it? Challenge. Uh, Challenge. Um, Yeah. uh, I mean, I definitely think... Um, there's a lot of, you know, logistics and planning that'll have to be surrounding the conference. Um, and a lot of it, you know, is collaborating with partners and, and working, uh, in these, uh, yeah, collaborative environments. So I think just being able to have all the different schedules coordinate, um, and just, I guess the logistics of, of something quite as big uh, as an event like that will be definitely something I, I need to be proactive about. Um, but yeah, I. I don't have any, any, like, big thing in particular that I'm particularly uh, worried for, I suppose. Cool,
0: yeah. that's good. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm
1: really just excited to to be able to get started um, and, yeah, finish, finish the semester up and get rolling, yeah. so. Yeah.
0: So, <laughs> yeah. for our audience that may not be familiar with the President's Prize, mm-hmm. it's a big deal, and <laughs> it, I don't know if I'm the right person to speak on it, but it's... Uh, a living stipend and some research funds, um, and then it's only it was only given to two people this year. Yeah, so it's, a, it's a big deal. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah, cool. I'm super excited. Yeah, <laughs> it's uh, yeah much appreciated. What do you hope to do after graduation or after the project is completed?
1: Great question. Yeah. Um. So between graduating and the project, I do have the summer uh, open. Um. So right now I'm. Currently uh, interviewing with uh, a few companies through something called the Brooke Owens Fellowship Program. Uh, so it's for women in aerospace engineering. Cool. I uh, am not in an aerospace engineering, um, but they also have positions in education, science, uh, and outreach. Um, And so I'm talking with them currently uh, in interviewing with a couple places in Seattle and LA. Uh, So I might be working out in astronomy or engineering education on the West Coast this summer, uh, or or potentially doing another, I've done a few internships with NASA and I really loved working there. I'd love to do that in the summer again or to go back after the President's Prize. I actually just came uh, from NASA Kennedy Space Center um, and was there all of last semester, cool. um, so I'd love to get the opportunity to work again uh, in the Office of Education, uh, which is what I had previously been doing uh, down in Florida, um, and kind of just do more, more science outreach, <laughs> uh, whether it be through, you know, an agency such as that or science centers like COSI, planetariums, uh, really, really anything where I get to keep communicating about astronomy accessibility is that's what I'm passionate about, so
0: really cool thanks think there's <laughs> are there a lot of other people that are working in astronomy mm-hmm. accessibility
1: <laughs> great question yeah uh about all of the people working in it are, are in an email chain <laughs> yeah. um, so there's actually a, a working group uh through this organization i mentioned mm-hmm. the international astronomical union so they have various working groups to bring people together who share other are areas of expertise or passions or interests in the world of astronomy, and so one of them is astronomy for equity and inclusion. Awesome. And so it's uh, a working group that I, that I'm a member of, along with a lot of people who are in this very you know specific cross sectional field. Um, and so that's I mean you know so many projects. That's how I learned about the one I mentioned with the taste. Um, there's also a, a project right now to create a, a dictionary of all the signs around the world that are used to teach astronomy because there's a lack thereof um sometimes you know there aren't signs developed for all the words and each country has its own sign language right. so it's not
0: just you know yeah that was I mean, something I learned in another <laughs> podcast interview yeah no, they're dialects exactly yeah. <laughs> yeah
1: each uh yeah each language is distinct um and so yeah so there's uh, a push being made right now to, you know, collect and have a, a main dictionary of astronomy signs around the world so that we can see that that relationship there. Um, so uh, there is, you know, it's it's narrow compared to, you know, you couldn't have every everyone interested in chemistry in one email group. <laughs> um, right. And this is not to say the group is by any means comprehensive, but it's a, a really wonderful collection of people, who, who share this interest and who are doing projects um, related to the field. And so that's actually where the, the groundwork will start for part one of the President's Prize project by reaching out to all the people in this working group who, who are doing outreach um, and trying to collect resources uh, from them uh, to build upon uh, kind of how-to kits for people to, to replicate the, the work going on already.
0: That's awesome. Thank you to Anna for joining me today. I look forward to following the great work she's doing. Thank you very much. Access EDU was created and produced by employees of The Ohio State University. The views and opinions expressed in this episode are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the policy or position of their employer.